Well, hello and welcome to episode number 398 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. In this week's packed show, we take a look at the recent fight between a Boeing 747 cargo aircraft and some baggage containers. EasyJet go on a drive. Well, a recruitment drive, that is. And we look at one airline who will fly you to the US for £139. And yes, you do get to sit on a seat. In the military news this week, we look at some of the aviation developments in the Ukraine. US forces blow up an MH60 helicopter and lots of grey painted fighter jets fly over to the UK to celebrate the 80th anniversary of the 8th Air Force. Joining me this week, as always, our skydiver, stuntman and king of the Waveney Valley Airwaves. It is, of course, Matt Smith. You've been sniffing things again. What's, <laughs> what on earth are you on about? You I'm crazy, reading the crazy. intro as it is on the screen in yeah, front of me. Yeah, the intro you wrote, I should yes, stress. True. Yes, true. <laughs> oh, uh, actually, no, Matt, can I draw your attention to uh, a comment in the chat room by uh, Nick Codling, who yes. just before, or just as you hit the go button, yes, said, yeah. uh, what, no PTUK technical challenges it's all been a bit flawless lately. What's going on? Oh, why would you read that? What? <laughs> Sorry. There's, there's still two hours of this madness to go. Anything's possible, really. I just, Anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, anyway, how are you, Matt? Yes, I, I'm fine. Well, you've got beer. Uh, yeah, I do have beer. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very exciting. So Carlos very kindly dropped me off a beer today. I've got an Adnams Cobbold, uh, which is an English lager. And I have to say, it's genuinely one of the nicest lagers I've ever had. And I'm not even joking. It is absolutely beautiful. Lovely. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Mm. Well, uh, you, you can have the other one later on during the show. Ooh. As a treat. Oh, thank you. <laughs> also, also joining me this week on the show is a man who literally has no more space for his BA points on his gold card, and they are flying in an Antonov AN224 to take up the slack. It's <laughs> Neville Bones. Yes, it's getting to that time of the year where the uh, the gold points renew again. Um, so, uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of flying this week uh, in the Scandinavian region. More about that uh, later on. Uh, but uh, no, good to be back on the show and good to be back home, actually. It might make a nice change because uh, uh, it's been almost a different hotel every night this week. So, oh, um, I was going to say, Nev, like you've, you've, you've sort of literally lived out of a suitcase for the last week. Mm, I have. And um, luckily this time I didn't overpack, which is what I tend to do. And I end up with far too much stuff, which I don't end up wearing. But I knew that the temperature in Sweden was going to be minus eight. Fresh. And I was not, I was not disappointed. <laughs> no, in indeed. Uh, so. can, I, can I just say, Mike is saying apparently we're sa saving up all our technical issues for the 400th. Oh, thanks, thanks for that, Mike. Thanks for that, Mike. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, my word. Oh. Anyway, and completing the PTUK dream team this week is a guy who can literally fly any aircraft, including one made of Lego. It's Armando. Lego? <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> uh, I am going to do my best to contribute to the PTUK technical difficulties since Thanks it's usually that. my fault. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I am... Uh, uh, fresh off a flight. I've actually been flying the last two days and I was rushing home to get here for the podcast. It's been a challenging last couple of days here on the East Coast, dodging thunderstorms and whatnot, but 
we cheated death once again. Oh, and here I am. <laughs> oh, lovely. Well, and on that cheery note, <laughs> the intrepid aviators that we are, we cheated death once again. How, right. How's your um, your snow at the moment over there in uh, Charlotte, Armando? Uh, you know what's funny is. Uh, I think it was, it was last week. We had snow for three weekends in a row, which was crazy for the state of North Carolina. It's all melted now. It's just just yucky, rainy. But we've made yeah. it. Oh well, S- send some over here. We haven't had any yet. Oh uh, no, thank you. <laughs> all right, okay. Well, <laughs> no, no, because no, because the company that I work for and the courier that we use, they don't need any excuse to stop delivering oh, yeah, cases yeah. of wine. So please don't send any snow this way. Even snow, don't do it. Even snow, <laughs> no, we can't deal with snow. They don't need any excuses. <laughs> so Matt, uh, over mm. to you for this next bit. Uh, yes, uh, le- uh, folks, we uh, I, I uh, need to make a little bit of an apology actually. Uh, one of our listeners reached out to us and, and sort of said that, uh, you know, a bit strange that the podcast hadn't been released yet. Um, and uh, we've, uh, the podcast provider that we use has now moved to a version 5 of their platform. And it's safe to say that we've been having a few problems releasing the show this week. So uh, really, it's just a quick apology uh, for how late uh, we could, because by the time it had been brought to my attention, I think it was already Wednesday and it should have been published on the Sunday. So uh, my sincere apologies for the very late release of last week's podcast, but uh, hopefully it didn't lose all its uh, you know relevance to that week's aviation news off the back of it. But uh, we are aware that there is a bit of a problem with this new version 5 and the way that we publish the show, which we are desperately looking into it. Myself and uh, John have been on Zoom calls all this week trying to get to the bottom of it. But uh, we are working on it. And uh, yes, thank you for bringing it to our attention. Yes, and next up, uh, before we uh, hit the chat room and say hello to everyone, uh, obviously Nev has been travelling around, well, various places over the last week, but also Nev has has been made, I mean, he doesn't need to be made famous because Nev is obviously world famous, but Nev, what's been going on? Well, I flew back today from Stockholm, very early flight this morning, and Bumpy did not does not even begin to cover it coming into Heathrow. Uh, but um, just as we landed, I noticed that uh, Jerry from Big Jet TV was out there with his camera, and I thought, oh, I wonder if uh, he caught my uh, A319 landing. Um, and uh, it turns out he did. So we, uh, I sent him a quick uh, message this morning. And uh, here I am, sideways on the ILS, basically. Oh, <laughs> now we've been um, we've been watching this like on and off, haven't we? Like pretty much most of the the yes. day. And this is quite a. Now we were all very concerned when we were watching this early. We were all very concerned for the safety of your gin and tonic in one uh, F. It was, it was all, it all leveled up nicely. <laughs> and, uh, but of course, you won't be able to see me in one F, which is where I was. I was, I was waving away, but. Uh, Obviously, the windows on the three one nine are quick, quite small. So. Indeed. Um, now, so, are you were saying actually because this looks, this is my idea of um, of of hell, really, this sideways landing and stuff. But you were saying actually that wasn't the worst bit. Oh no! I mean that that just as we broke cloud, that was that was okay. Uh, it was the bit before that, so probably about let me think, probably about five thousand feet, something like that. Uh, the weather was just we can see what the weather was like today. It was just one of those awfully squally days, really. 
Um, mm. And um, but yeah, that was uh, very bumpy. Luckily, they put all the cutlery away and everything like that. Oh, so right, okay. The caviar didn't get spilt on the floor. No, nobody was hurt during the making no, of, no, of, of said landing. Funny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I just wanted to sort of actually we just I was a little bit overexcited because we we actually got a little mention, didn't we, on the on 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 the oh, old. Oh, we caught uh, the guys from Plane Talking, apparently, folks. Podcast series. Wanting, uh, uh, wanting to use uh, feature our footage on a, on a show when today did it say tonight at 7 p.m. as the bird talking. flies across the um, runway. <laughs> Plane talking UK. Okay, here we go. There this we go. Yes. So uh, yes, our thanks to uh, our thanks to Jerry and all the team at uh, Big Jet TV for letting us use that footage this evening. It was quite nice to see you coming into land, Nev. I quite like that. Yes, there you are, you see. So I've <laughs> defied gravity again, and I've walked away from Well another. done. Excellent. Um, how about that? <laughs> An award-winning moment. Yeah. <laughs> well done on that, Nev. It's always nice to see... Uh... See well, see you in a in a different sort of light as such, because we normally get to see you on the TV doing the show. But it's nice to see you on board an aircraft, <laughs> even if we couldn't quite see you through the, uh, through the windows. Quite, but, quite, no. <laughs> but no, well done on that, Nev. Well done, well done. I mean, he so wasn't we, flying. He, he wasn't. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the thanks should probably go to the pilot that got him on the ground safely. But <laughs> uh, that was uh, Captain uh, Gareth, actually. Oh, very good. He was uh, in the left-hand seat. At the controls, yeah. Love it. Well done. But so, mm-hmm. enjoyable flight both ways. Mm, very much so. Good. So we're going to say a big hello to everyone who is joining in tonight in the YouTube chat room. They've been quite excitable this evening. We're going to uh, with Lee Davies. Hello to you, Lee. Captain Cruz, John Jester. We've got some very good feedback coming up later mm. from uh, John. It's part of the story. Uh, it was like it, it was is. planned. <laughs> uh, Mazus, hello to you, Mazus. Hope you're well. Dirk S as well. Mashers in there. Uh, Nick Codling, he's uh, been uh, keeping everyone entertained in there this evening. So thanks for that, Nick. Uh, we've got our main man, Micah. Mashers in there as well. Let's make sure I don't miss him. Armando is in there as well. He's keeping an eye on things, which is always a good idea, as is Nev with the blue spanner of death. Well, uh, Neil uh, Lamb. Nick Anderson must not be feeling that well because he's in the chat room, so he's got nothing else to uh, do. <laughs> Neil Lanwarn, hello to you, Neil. And Dr. Steph is also in the chat room, apparently, according to this uh, list here. So hello to you, Steph. And we've got uh, Captain Ridiculous Wits. Oh, no. That's Mr. I... That's Mr. Brown. He's a crossover from APG. Hello, James. Oh, very good. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and uh, Jonathan Warner is also in the chat room tonight oh. as well. Hey, that was my Duxford buddy on, on Sunday. On Sunday. Yeah, yeah we had a great yeah. time. Actually, uh, 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 please please send me some pictures, um, Jonathan, and I'll, I'll pop them up later on in the show because uh, I, I didn't take any photographs on purpose. It's like, why would you have a really good photographer <laughs> with you and take the photos yourself? That's not how this works. <laughs> and well, don't forget... That's quite, quite the full chat room. Why don't we just like ditch the show notes and just have a nice two-hour chat with? Chat with right. I mean, in the if, chat if, room. if you yeah. want, if if you're brave enough to take that up with John, who spent all day doing it, then by, <laughs> be my guest. All right, 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 right. <laughs> so if you are listening 
to us babylon on an audio podcast and you'd like to see what we all look like and don't do it stay where you are stay where you are <laughs> uh, but if not uh, check us out on youtube just look for us on youtube plain talking uk and if you haven't already done it we'd love you to click on that subscribe button and also hit that bell icon if you want to be notified when we are live and recording episodes as we are right now so i suppose we better Kick off with some commercial news. If everyone's ready. Oh, God, yeah. blimey. You're Let's catching me out now, aren't you? <laughs> and Captain Jeff's lurking in the chat room. Uh-oh. So let's kick off this week's first news story on simpleflying.com. And Qatar, 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 guitar, keyboard, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> uh, signs deal with Boeing. Uh, Qatar has signed a deal for Boeing's freighter version of its newest twin jet, the 777X. Uh, the order makes Qatar the launch customer for the new cargo jet with a commitment for up to 50 aircraft. In a surprising twist, the deal also includes an additional order for up to 50 737 MAX. Qatar Emir was visiting Washington for talks with the president this week and took the opportunity to sign for a total of 50 of the aircraft during his visit. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, uh, representatives from the government of Qatar, Boeing, GE Aviation and Qatar Airways all participated in signing the ceremony at uh, 12.30 Eastern Time this week, the triple seven XF deal was signed for 34 therm orders and 16 options. While the triple seven XF deal had been doing the rounds on the aviation grapevine, more of a surprise was the inclusion of the narrowbody order with the deal. The airline has also signed up for 50 737 Max aircraft, replacing the 50 A321 Neos that were can- uh, cancelled by Airbus early this month. The order is for 25. Uh, 25 firm and 25 options. The decision to look to the US manufacturer for its future needs does not come as a surprise uh, for Qatar. The airline has been looked in a very public row with European playmaker Airbus over problems with some of its A350 passenger jets. Now, well, so they had the uh, issue, didn't they, guys, with the paint peeling off the uh, 350s. So I guess this is a way of them saying to Airbus, well, if you're not going to sort it out, well, um, we'll go elsewhere. Damn you! Uh, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's quite. It's I I I still think there's there, there's I know because we covered this a little bit last week as well, didn't we? And mm, I, I still I still think there's more to this story than than is really going on. I don't know. I I'm still convinced this is being used as an excuse um, for you know having to maybe you know back out of a contract or two you know there's no doubt about it i bet you qatar got a really 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 good deal with boeing for those oh, seven, I bet. seven yeah, maxes yeah. absolutely 100 percent. yeah guys i looked this up a little bit earlier 118 tons that's the structural payload of a triple seven xf wow that's a lot of car that's a, that's almost identical to a 747 400 freighter wow these things are massive 
crazy. And isn't it? you've got two less engines to um, yeah. worry about. Well, yeah, absolutely. So more fuel. efficient and all that kind of thing, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's, it's a bit of a win, isn't it? So from one Max story to another Max story yeah, yeah. with you, Matt, and uh, another US airline. Yeah, so we've got a couple of uh, Max stories actually in amongst this one. We'll start with American Airlines, and they're to buy more 737 Max jets, and they defer the Dreamliner delivery, which I think is an interesting story as well. It's from Reuters, this particular story. American Airlines said on Wednesday it had agreed to buy an additional 23 737 MAX 8 aircraft from Boeing by exercising existing purchase options and deferring the delivery of some 787-9 Dreamliner aircraft. The airline's move to boost its 737 MAX fleet comes at a time when domestic travel in the United States is staging a recovery despite the disruption caused by the Omicron variant of the coronavirus. American Airlines said uh, in a filing that it intends to convert seven more of its purchase options for the MAX this year, bringing its total order of the 737 MAX 8 to aircraft to 30. The company has deferred the delivery of Boeing's long-haul 787-9 Dreamliner aircraft that was scheduled to be handled over in January of next year. Uh, deliveries of aircraft will Will now begin in the fourth quarter of 2023 and will continue into 2027 with four 787-9 aircraft now scheduled for delivery in 2023, Americans said. Delays in the deliveries of the 787 jet has already forced the Texas-based carrier to scrap, produce or defer the introduction of flights to several international routes. Boeing, which is already paying penalties to American Airlines for pushing back deliveries, said last week it had incurred $4.5 billion worth of charges in the fourth quarter on its 787 program that is suffering from production defects. The company said in a statement it will continue to work with American Airlines to support its fleet requirements. Uh, meanwhile, in Ethiopia, uh, the Ethiopian Airlines uh, Boeing 737 MAX resumes flight operations. So this is from aviationtoday.com. And uh, the Ethiopian Airlines has resumed operations of the 737 MAX for the first time since the 2019 tragedy of Echo Tango 302. In a February 1st press statement, Ethiopian Group CEO uh, Telwald Magrib sorry, Gribra Mayam said the aircraft has taken enough time to monitor the design modification work and the more than 20 months of rigorous recertification processes that have taken place and we have ensured uh, we have ensured that our pilots, engineers, aircraft technicians and cabin crew are confident on the safety of the fleet. Ethiopian Airlines has 4737 MAX in its fleet and 25 remaining on order with some scheduled for delivery later this year. Since uh, civil aviation authorities first started approving the aircraft's return to service in late 2020, the MAX has accumulated more than 349,000 commercial flights and close to 900,000 total flight hours. Boeing received more than 700 net orders for MAX aircraft from airlines last year and completed a total of 263 MAX deliveries in 2021. Do we think we're finally coming to the end of the Max story? That's the question. 
You'd, you'd like you'd like to think that. I mean, the airlines are all starting to mm. kind of move back to the max yeah, now. Are, the yeah. max is, you know, it, it's been pretty much recertified in all the different countries now around the world. And it seems like it's now, we're now kind of hit the peak now. And we're now going back to, heading back to where things used to be before the accidents. Yeah, possibly. absolutely. Indeed. What do you think, Armando? Yeah, I, I certainly think that here in the US, at least, and most of the Western countries, we're getting over the the bad publicity and the max has already proven proving itself in in actual operations but um dirk in the in the chat room is saying that ethiopian has planned to do so but hasn't actually executed that plan yet oh is it not so, okay yeah. interesting hmm. it might be just preparation of the media battle space <laughs> yeah hmm. more, more than likely so nev we're off to uh, your favourite airline now. For the next mm. In my Outlook inbox this week, I had an email from Sean Doyle, who's the CEO of British Airways. I thought, well, that's nice of him to write to me. But it actually turns out he's written to everybody. Oh. Uh, not uh, <laughs> in the executive Not time, you personally. Not just no. me. So that's a bit of a shame. Um, but on the uh, onemileatatime.com and businesstravelnewseurope.com and on the ft.com it says that British Airways has for years faced the same issues as so many other European airlines. The airline faces tough competition from ultra-low cost carriers on short-haul routes and faces fierce competition from Gulf carriers in many long-haul markets. Figuring out the right balance between offering a premium product and controlling costs can be hard. BA has promised to improve its customer service and reduce call waiting times after coming through its worst crisis in our 102-year history, he says. Uh, Sean Doyle, uh, who I mentioned as CEO, made the pledge in a message sent to all BA Executive Club members over the weekend. And he says, to our loyal customers, I'm writing you to, to uh, directly today in the spirit of transparency, which is the ethos we're striving to promote at British Airways in 2022 as we emerge from the worst crisis in our 102-year history. We know that for many months now we've been asking you to be patient with us, patient whilst we bring you uh, bring multiple aircraft back from airfields around the world, patient whilst we uh, rebuild our network, retrain and recruit people to serve you better, and patient while we deal with the thousands of customers that need our help. To be frank, uh, we've been moving from one set of restrictions to another and the amount of change that we've been dealing with over the past couple of years from week to week has been relentless. I'm not seeking to make excuses for things that should have gone better. What I am doing is making a personal commitment to you that we will build a bitter, uh, sorry, not a bitter, a better British Airways. Um, an airline you can trust and rely on and that offers great customer service with someone always available to help. Most importantly, an airline that you are proud to fly with. An airline that uh, you are proud is your British flag carrier. For me, 2022 is the year we're finally able to rebuild and re-energise our airline. After the recent news from the UK government around the removal of restrictions, it's time to get Britain moving again. Well, the letter went on to say that Doyle's priority is to address the customer call centre issues and also to create a better, uh, better customer experience through the phones and social media platforms. Other pledges include a new baggage tracing system, expanding on the lounge table service introduced during the height of the pandemic. 
Uh, onboard service is getting a review as well. Complimentary water and snacks on short-haul flights in the Euro travel, travel uh, cabin will continue. And the quality of meal choices uh, across all cabins will be improved. BA recently published a video for employees intending to outline the direction the airline is taking as it continues to see a recovery. Uh, the Financial Times quotes uh, Sean Doyle as saying the following, There is room for optimism that we are on the way out. Putting the premium proposition into the heart of what we do is going to be key. We want people to come off a British Airways flight and talk about it as if it's something different. Any airline can go out and buy products off the shelf and put them on a plane. But it's actually the confidence and the style and the intimacy that we deliver in service that's going to be a differentiator. Well, that's um, some good words there, and I just hope he can follow through with everything because um, it's been very difficult for all the crews, as we know, on all airlines, not not just BA. Um, but from what I'm seeing at the moment, uh, there's a lot more activity at the airports, um, a lot of uh, more aircraft flying, um, and the crews are coming back onto the aircraft as well. So, and they, they, the flying that I've been doing this week, they've done a very nice job. Like the sector out to Copenhagen on Monday, and the sector back from Stockholm today. Really nice indeed. So I'm really hoping this is going to go well for them. I have a quick question for you, Nev. So. This was the email that went out to uh, the club members. So how did this differ from the handwritten letter that you received via courier to your doorstep? Did, he tell, <laughs> did, did they tell you any different? Shondo? I, was, I was hoping you weren't going to mention that. I was, oh. I was trying to play that down a bit. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, no, it's it's the standard thing. Um, but I'm, I'm glad he um, he's done this because they need to turn it around somehow. Um, and the trouble is, you see, that there's a lot of forums of, of, of BA um, travellers. And frankly speaking, you know, you are paying for a premium service for the, for the most part. And some of the standard has not been very good. But we all know why, you know, that there's been all sorts of restrictions and difficulties there. So um, I'm hoping that things are are going to get better. Now, I did say this at the start of 2021, I realise. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's hope it really is true this time. Mm, fingers crossed. Well, I have nothing but good things to say about their service, Nev, as you know. Mm, yep. 100%. So, uh, Armando, uh, you have got uh, the next story, and this is uh, quite the interesting story. Yeah, this made its way around the social media uh, circles. There's a uh, mm good security camera footage of this 747, China Airlines 747, that uh, took out some baggage carts there in Chicago. Um, the, our story that we featured on the show, we'll put the link in the show notes, is from simpleflying.com and 100knots.com. Um, however, as much as I would like to comment on this story, we have somebody that is incredibly more qualified to comment on it. So Captain John Jester, uh, captain of the Queen of the Skies, uh, actually a 747 for, uh, freighter, uh, is going to tell us a little bit about uh, what happened here. Hello, PT UK crew. This is John Jester, providing you some feedback on the 747 that attacked the baggage carts and sucked up the uh, containers in Chicago O'Hare. Armando asked me to uh, provide some feedback on this since, obviously, I drive 747s for a living, and here it is. 
Uh, this aircraft is a uh, 747 freighter and would be coming into uh, O'Hare with a landing weight somewhere under 302 tons. Uh, normal landing weights generally being in the 240, 250 tons after a flight length of that uh, type where they flew from Taipei to Anchorage and then continued on down to Chicago O'Hare. Uh, the crew, most likely, I think because they're a foreign crew, would have stayed on board when it went through Anchorage. So they would have operated a roughly eight-hour, maybe eight-and-a-half-hour flight, depending on the conditions, up to Anchorage. Did a fuel stop there, maybe cleared customs, and then continued on down to O'Hare with a flight time generally of around five hours, maybe a little bit less, depending on the winds again. Coming into O'Hare, they were facing a situation with obviously poor weather. They did land successfully on the 2-8 center, it appeared from what I saw of uh, news stories, and taxied into Southeast Cargo. The taxi route into Southeast Cargo involves uh, a few turns in the last bit, uh, similar to going into a chicane on a Formula One track, involving some relatively sharp steering angles on the 747. Now, a big issue we have with 747, especially in inclement weather, is that we do not have a lot of weight on the nose gear, and that allows the nose gear to slip, or we call it scrub, uh, when we do larger steering angles. So we can steer that nose gear up to 70 degrees either side of center, but when we start turning much past 50, we run a major condition or issue with the conditions uh, of scrubbing, and in snowy conditions, even... 20, 30 degrees uh, can start to scrub the nose gear. We have one thing that helps us, uh, and that is the body gear steering is there as well. But that kicks in at roughly uh, five knots, and it does cut out at a certain speed. Now, it's hard for me to judge on this video how fast they were going, but it does look very fast. I cringed quite a lot seeing that speed. And at first, when I saw it, the video, I thought there was a little bit of a time lapse effect, so that it was it looked fast because of time lapse. But it, apparently, that is not that is apparently true time video that is out there where it's inhaling the cans and uh, through the number one engine and collecting up all the baggage carts with the number two engine. And you can see it definitely is very snowy. It looks like it just basically slid and plowed right into a. Uh, container staging area, baggage cart staging area next to a gate area, in, in the gate areas, when it came into that ramp. And it's not a very wide ramp in that southeast cargo pad. It's it's something you want to be on the center line and you need to maneuver in. Many of the parking spots that we utilize in that exact same location, we pull in straight and then we are hooked up to a tug and we're pulled in so that we don't jet blast or have issues with getting into the gate. So we use oftentimes tugs to come to those gates. It looks like this event happened up very close to the to the entrance of the southeast cargo pad, and there is a turn coming in there, and it looks like they just had way too much speed for whatever reason into that area, and they plowed straight ahead before it started to turn, and then collected all the stuff. I'm not sure what was going on, what the speed were involved, but obviously you have uh, a significant amount of damage from that impact to the baggage carts and the sucking up the containers. I'd say at a minimum you're looking at two engine changes, full cowling replacements on both of those engines, plus any additional damage. I believe that there was some least reported damage to the 
landing gear doors on the wing gear and possibly stuff on the flaps and stuff from all the debris coming out of the back of the engine that's been sucked into it. So that's my feedback you got for you. I hope this helps. And if you guys have any questions, I hopefully will be in the chat room. I mean, wow, that's uh, John. Thank you so very much. That's thank uh, you, John. That that was yeah. absolutely brilliant. And, and uh, I must admit, because we were having this conversation during the week, weren't we? And I I was convinced that that footage was either like where because i know some cctv cameras where it's mm. recording like on a time lapse so it's only recording every other frame and things like because to me it looks so fast when it when it was going through because i think it was early part of last week wasn't it when this when this hit um this this story um but yeah, no apparently also, it is real time i also thought the same thing i said well maybe it's a you know uh the camera is just getting time lapse or something and it's replaying yeah. it back at a, at a different speed but no i it it really was and i you, I, you know after after the story came out and and then john offered his feedback i went into google earth to look at it and i can see exactly what he's talking about the little chicane going onto sierra two sierra one there's it's literally one two three four five six different taxiways that converge onto two entrances into the south cargo area and i can see exactly where those baggage carts were um yeah and, and and now it makes it well first of all i learned something i didn't know that that the 747 had uh body gear steering i didn't i knew that that other gear train was back there but i, didn't, I had no idea that it steered um and i can see where where that turn is where if that the front tire was was uh skidding along the the snowy pavement that it you know go into those mm. into those baggage carts but um Hey, he he would know what uh, I love yeah. our chat room. I love our listeners because you know I was going to talk about it, but man, he's he's uh, lived it and he's been in there firsthand. So um, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny that China Airlines said that they're they have decided to retire that aircraft. It's like, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean, John said you know a couple engine changes and it, it, obviously it's. You know they can get it back in the air, but they already they already said in a, in a statement that they were going to retire that aircraft in twenty twenty seven. Amazing. Yeah, I think just watching that video when it when it first got released, I think I saw it first on Twitter. One of the aviation feeds on there posted it. Just watching it, just just seeing that, I think it's an L three baggage container, and I think it's what gets sucked in, and it literally does get sucked in. It just took straight through the engine you actually see the pieces coming out the back end of the engine and what (laughs) amazes me is the sheer fact that nothing caught fire there was no yeah you see you see flames coming out more when it sucks in a bird or something but i guess that's that's under power you know this was pretty hopefully it was pretty low power uh taxing on on that snowy icy you know taxiway regardless of their speed so um you can't help but think the beginning of airplane the movie right when the 747 like comes <laughs> yeah. in through the terminal <laughs> like, oh, that'll buff out yeah something like that yeah <laughs> it's yeah it's just a great just a sort of great thing and, I mean, and uh, it the thing that sort of surprised me really is part of me was like why is that stuff all all like so far in out yeah, yeah it just sort yeah. of seemed to me but i mean again when we were having a conversation like in, in planning yesterday um and apparently that is quite common that stuff is quite a long way out of 
Um, you know, it's not all tucked into the side of the terminal. If you saw, I guess they haven't got room, have they? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. A couple of comments in the chat room. Um, Lots of comments in the chat room. Yeah. Nick Anderson says if the pilot, he wonders if the pilot monitoring was calling the ground speed. Um, we also do that. We'll, uh, in my operation, we do the same thing. It's not really an SOP, but it's kind of an unspoken one where, uh, especially at unfamiliar airports or for us, you know, we're a charter operation. We don't go into class Bravo airports too much, but sometimes we'll call out the ground speed on, uh, off the GPS or, uh, inertial reference or whatever, but, uh, to make sure that we're, you know, keeping it in check because sometimes the visuals are, are weird. And then, and then in inclement weather like that, actually just, uh, yesterday morning, I think there was a video of a Pilatus that, uh, started up and, uh, Nick Codling was saying in the chat room, extremely fortunate that there weren't any ground staff nearby. Uh, it was same thing. It was this, this recent ice storm that we're having, uh, this, this week. And it was a Pilatus that started up and the, General consensus is that the manual override power lever was not stowed, so they probably started it in the correct position, but then the the manual override um, was full up, and that airplane started skidding, brakes on and everything. It started skidding uh, right across the ramp, over the ice, over the snow. There was a marshaller there that was kind of marshalling the start. He jumped out of the way, and the Pilatus ended up hitting a Hawker 1000 uh, that was sitting across the ramp, tore the wing off, tore the nose off the hawker. Um, um, everybody seems to be safe, but man, these these inclement weather conditions and taxing, uh, it's just adds such a. And I think Nick's talked about it quite a bit, you know, on APG. But it's just everything. You have to slow it down. Have to slow it down, right? Mm, indeed, uh, John John Jester is actually adding there again. He's saying ground speed is deceptive visually. In the 747. That is true, actually. I had a jump seat ride on an Air New Zealand 747-400 into Los Angeles mm. back in the day. I was very lucky to... Well, that was that. allowed, yes. Um, <laughs> but I was amazed, obviously, at the height of the 747 cockpit and the visual sort of cues that you were getting as you were coming into land. You're going, well, doesn't seem very fast to me at all. And it's probably 100, I don't know. 150, yeah. 155 knots, something like that. And I would imagine perhaps on the ground as well that unless you keep your taxi speed really in check, that can also be deceptive the way your peripheral vision works when you're that much higher off the off the deck. Um, so, um, but um, anyway, another Nev uh, pro tip this week. We had one last week. Uh, here's another one. Uh, don't taxi quickly. Right. Okay. Good. Food. Good food. Food for thought. There, Nev. Food for thought. Yeah. There. Absolutely. There we are. Thank also, goodness. Also, good here. advice for the for the captain of the Titanic. <laughs> yes. Oh my word. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> Dear. Oh my. It's a whole yeah, other <laughs> show on its own. This this episode is just the Queen of the Skies. I think that's the show title, Matt. Mm. You got this next, or no, actually, Some, Carlos, you got this. Please, next somebody, story, right? somebody WhatsApp that to me because I'll have forgotten by the end of the. Yeah, we, we're we're sticking we're sticking with um with the Queen of the Skies, the seven four seven, and uh, John Jester will love this week's show with all this uh, talk of seven fours on here. Uh, but this one is from aviationonline.com. And uh, this is regarding a very rare 747. This is a Dash 400M Combi. Ooh. And uh, Jet 1X is bringing a 747-400M Combi back to life and is the only operator of the model. So Jet 
X becomes the only operator of the Boeing 747-400M, which is unique in that it can carry passengers in one section and cargo in the other half of the aircraft. Uh, US-based ACMI Charter acquired the jumbo that belonged to the government of uh, government arm of the Dubai Air Wing. Wow. I think, it's the, to, I think it's the real Acme. That's Acme. Acme, yeah. yeah. According to a Cargo Fact, the aircraft in question is registered as Alpha 6 Hotel Mike Mike, or MSN 28551. Uh, the Boeing 747 was built in 1999 for Air Nambia. It then moved to Abu Dhabi, Amory flight, and then transferred to the government of Morocco. Uh, in 2017, it was transferred to the United Arab Emirates. It continues its uh, government functions with the Dubai Air Wing. Jet 1X will deliver the 747-400M to Iceland-based Air Atlanta Icelandic uh, via wet leasing under registration Tango Foxtrot Alpha Ho uh, Mike Hotel, uh, according to CH Aviation. Uh, the Icelandic company's fleet consists of three 747-400s, one 747-400-BCF, and, and five 747-400-BDSFs. Uh, three seven four seven four hundred FSCDs. My word, they have more versions of the seven four seven. I haven't realised. And uh, obviously, the one we're talking about, the dash four hundred M. It also operates one A three forty dash three hundred, Captain Nick's favourite hairdryer propelled aircraft, <laughs> and two A three forty six hundreds, Nick's favourite aircraft, in a temporary freighter configuration. At the airline's multi sister airline. Yay. Air Atlanta Europe operates one more 747-400. Uh, the US-based uh, US ACMI, or ACME, uh, charter is ca a capacity provider that maintains commercial control over a fleet comprising of 747 freighters. Its speciality is long-haul intercontinental heavy cargo, with flexibility for oversized cargo from the side or the front door. Uh, the 747-F, or BCF, Boeing Converted Freighter, and volumeric capacity using the 747M Combi. So, a brief, quick history of the Combi. Uh, so, the 747-400M, passenger or cargo Combi variant, was originally designated the 400BC, or Dash 400BC. First flew on the 30th of June, 1989, and entered service with KLM, on September the 12th, 1989. Based on the successful combi versions of the 747 Classic, uh, the Dash 400M has a large cargo door installed at the rear of the fuselage with the function of loading cargo into the aft main deck cargo hold, giving it a capacity of 292 meters squared in the area. An enclosed membrane separates the cargo area from the forward passenger cabin, and the Dash 400M also features additional fire protection, always a good idea, and reinforced main deck floor, and a roller conveyor system, and a passenger to cargo conversion equipment. The last 747-400M was delivered to KLM on the April of 10th, 20, uh, 2002. Uh, Boeing sold 61 of the Dash 400M aircraft, which was similar to earlier versions of the 747 Combi, and 78 747-200Ms and 21 747-300Ms. So 
because I, I know they had the um, the seven three, didn't they? They uh, there's a, there's a still a few seven three seven two hundred, I think combis uh, operating. Was it four hundred combis? Well, there's three um, hundreds and four hundreds. Yeah, I know there was a couple of the combi versions of those, but um, yeah, I didn't realize they had the um, the four hundred in in that kind of capacity as well. So. Yeah, and I think the chat room was asking if this was a former KLM. I think this was this was actually a, a Dubai Airwing one, but that same company has acquired two X uh, KLM combis um, to add on to their fleet. And you can imagine, you know, the the specialty all, all business is about carving out, you know, your own little chunk of of the market. And the first thing that came to mind with this kind of combi. Uh, mission is you know car racing where the teams are going the mechanics the engineers are going with it horse racing that's you know huge here in the united states where you have the handlers go with with the horses um there's so many different you know ways that you could employ a combi and i know in the military we actually uh, i was part of a unit that actually had a combi pallet for the c-130 where we could roll on seats now this is it's pretty common in the military where they're you know, KC-135s, it's just a pallet of seats that rolls on type thing. But but we had a C-130 that we had a, a full combi pallet on and uh, literally just rolled on the seats. We could fit, you know, 30 people or so in regular, um, you know, aircraft seats, coach class seats, and then have all the cargo there. The entire mission package was, was going out there together. Um, but the civilian version of this has so many applications that it's pretty cool that they're still um, lots of lots of operators are still using these mm. lee davis has actually said in the chat room about he he spotted the uh the rare do you remember these nev the 747 sp remember I the do. SPs? yes yeah, yeah the sps are yeah. cool yeah looked very strange when you saw one of those because they were kind of like a a normal 74 that looked like they've been chopped in half and had a big <laughs> section taken out Nice. You're really sending. Yes, it. I can't remember yeah. how many were uh, manufactured in in the end. It, it wasn't the huge, not many production line, was it? Mm. Um, and I'm sure that somebody in the United Arab, Arab Arab Emirates or Saudi or someone like that had one as a private jet. Mm. Well, oh, really? Um, so yeah. Yeah, oh, really, really. They're interesting to look at, Matt. If you ever get a chance, Matt, put in Google and, and look at the 747SP. It does look really strange. It's just like someone's got a 747 and squished and it. And squished it, right, okay. Yeah. Um, and well, sticking with we you, go. Matt, uh, we've uh, got some good news for uh, for pilots here in the UK, haven't we? Yeah, although I have a slightly different take on it, and uh, I, will, I will come to that in a moment. Uh, but the story is... Pilots Wanted EasyJet launches new recruitment drive for 1,000 pilots. So this is coming from... I'm Media, off yeah, Right, yes, indeed. Media, oh, he really has left his chair, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, MediaCenter.EasyJet.com and also the CAE.com. Uh, Civil Aviation is uh, our sources for this. For the first time since the beginning of the pandemic, EasyJet is reopening its pilot training program with training partner CAE. To support future growth opportunities, the airline is recruiting over 1,000 new pilots over the next five years. The new ad campaign featuring multi-talented real-life EasyJet pilots aims to highlight that everyone has the potential to turn their skills and passions towards becoming an airline pilot. Mother of two, 
Captain uh, Iris Decan is seen in one of the ads with five-year-old daughter Kiki. The ad communicates that those with incredible multitasking skills could make for excellent pilots. Former gymnast and now senior first officer with EasyJet Nina Lee is featured performing a split leap on the tarmac, uh, showcasing her fantastic reactions and hand-eye coordination. Key skills for aspiring pilots. EasyJet senior first officer Aaron Mosley, a former resident DJ, transitioned from the club decks to the flight deck. I see what they did there by training to become a pilot for EasyJet seven years ago. His hands-on practical skills have enabled him to switch records for runways. <laughs> Here. Uh, this is this is your level of puns. This is Nev. Sorry. Uh, the new recruitment ad campaign is part of EasyJet's efforts to find the next generation of EasyJet pilots, with a continued focus on encouraging more women to become an airline pilot to address the gender imbalance in the industry. Uh, jo- Jordan Lundgren, uh, who is the CEO of EasyJet, said, "We continue to focus on challenging gender stereotypes of the career, having doubled the number of female pilots." that's flying with us in recent years. We also acknowledge that whilst we have made progress, there is still work to do. Increasing diversity in all of its forms in the flight deck is a long-term focus for EasyJet, and we will continue to ensure we lead the industry on the issue. Uh, The entry criteria for anyone who's interested, uh, candidates must be aged 18 or over by the time they begin their training. Uh, They must have a minimum of five general certificate of secretary education, that's GCSEs of grade C or above, or the equivalent thereof, including maths, science and English language. Uh, you must have the right to work with unrestricted access across the EEA, EU, UK and Switzerland. You must be fluent in English. You must be a minimum height of five foot two, that's 157 centimetres, and you must be able to obtain an EASA or CAA uh, class one medical Medical. There we go. Now, uh, the the reason why I'm perhaps going to be a little bit controversial here is because whilst I'm delighted to hear that, uh, you know, that, you know, there's, there's signs of recovery and people are getting all excited about, uh, you know, rehiring pilots and stuff. And I um, I, now I, I was thumbing through uh, Twitter, as I quite often do, and I stumbled across uh, a, a tweet from a dear friend of ours uh, from the show. And I think it v- raises a real valid point. This is really what I wanted to highlight with everyone. So it was great to see EasyJet recruiting pilots. This is from Captain Al, by the way, friend of the show. It's great to see EasyJet's uh, recruiting pilots. But sadly, their scheme yet again requires significant cash from the individuals. So many prospective pilots of all genders, races, etc. are barred from their dreams because they or their parents don't have 100 plus K uh, in order to be able to sort of fund this now and i i feel this for me is the biggest problem isn't it it's you know and and airlines just don't do it they just don't do it do they actually Where, alan, alan you know, white's got a good comment in the chat room matt yeah okay all right we'll we'll uh well, we'll while matt's that. doing that yeah, yeah I, you know <laughs> so every airline and a lot of businesses are out there recruiting under represented uh demographics right yeah um when I was in Atlanta, Delta Airlines is doing the same thing, and they're hiring 200 pilots a month. It, but it is not a it is not a discriminator between one pilot candidate or another. And there is, to use a FMS joke, 
right? So there's a bit of a discontinuity here in that they are saying they're recruiting underrepresented demographics and minorities and women. Um, but those are also uh, possibly the demographics that have the least amount of access to 109,000 pounds. Exactly, yeah. You know, and there is, sure, the earnings potential for an airline pilot over a 20 or 30 year career is in the millions, mm. but a hundred thousand pounds is, is quite the barrier. And it's, it's the same here in the States, right? Mm. I mean, United airlines has published their, you know, their, they did their, their big media blitz on their aviate Academy, um, out West. And it's kind of the same thing. You're still talking a hundred thousand dollars to become an airline pilot over the course of two years. So it, mm. it doesn't matter what, <laughs> you know, what recruiting efforts you have, there's still a, a financial barrier, no matter who you are, but, to I mean, get into. But do aviation. you not think, I mean, this is something that maybe the, you know, the aviation industry could actually help solve, because obviously with the resources that they have available to them, uh, whilst it would cost, say, you know, me £100,000 to do it, I mean, they've got access to aircraft and all that kind of thing, it wouldn't cost them £100,000 to help you get through it, and they could have all these... You know, because obviously they're you know they're not being funny, but they're buying the fuel at, at, at cost. There's no profit being made on that, and what you're getting, you know, you are essentially, I feel, encouraging the best people. It, you know, if money is no longer a barrier, then you'll get people who could well be the best pilots in the world um, who haven't been doing it purely because they don't have access to the resources to become a pilot. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, we could go on about this for a little while. I have, mm. so the military has the same problem, right? You're recruiting, but you need a budget. Yeah. You need a budget for, uh, for the housing of the person, the all the administrivia, right? So the the benefits that they're getting, the healthcare, um, their retirement. You when you hire somebody, you have to plan in the budget for them to retire out of your operation. Then all of the infrastructure costs of running a schoolhouse, running the simulators, mm. those are not cheap per pilot. Uh, in the Air Force, the cost to train a pilot from from zero to their first day of tactical or mission qualification training was close to $200,000 uh, okay. per, per pilot, right? So, and that's the military who does everything on the cheap. Um, right. They, so the airlines while they have a lot of resources, I don't know that they have limitless resources to just say, oh, we're going to spend, you know, $400 million to train a thousand pilots over the next uh, two years. And, and there's just the, and it's Europe, you guys do it. It's so it's completely different, right? Cause, cause you can be in the right seat of a 737 at EasyJet at 500 hours, right? That's, that's just not how it happens here in the U.S. You have to rise through the ranks, air quotes, right? You have to do your time somewhere, whether corporate, um, flight instructing or something to get to a regional to get the experience. Uh, and then a regional, although regional jets are pretty big, right? You got the Embraers and the CRJ 900. Yeah, You're true. talking 100, 100 people. It's an airliner. But even that is considered a transition or a learning uh, path to get to a major airline um, which EasyJet here in the U.S. would be right on par with, you know, Southwest or Spirit or something like that, low-cost carriers. And you can't just jump right to Spirit 
you still have to get your time. You still have to get your 1500 hours to be uh, marketable somewhere. Um, and there's no way that the airlines here in the US at least could afford to pay for people to get 1500 hours to get them into the right seat of a 737 or an A320. Um, so it's just this kind of catch 22, right? Like you can't, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Yeah. I think the airlines can do more, like you always say, Matt. I think the yeah. airlines can do more, but that's really my point. I mean, you know, it, it's a big, it's a big number. I mean, nobody, nobody, uh, you know, unless you you're very lucky, uh, nobody has access to that kind of money. That is the cost of a, you know, a, a small flat. Do you know what I mean? And people just don't have that kind of money even to buy the flat, let alone. Um, you know sort of spend it on on sort of becoming that yeah I, I don't know I, I i completely get your point i just i do genuinely feel that there, there must be some middle ground here somewhere you know because even if it was half and half do you know what i mean if, if like the airline was there was a way that an, an airline you know you you get you have to be tied in for five years or something like that and you've got to try and pay some of it back or whatever but you know they have the resources that you and i perhaps don't have in order to help you get through it even if it's half and half do you know i, I just i just i i genuinely feel they could do more yeah and and thank thank you chat room yes easyjet no longer operates the 737 yeah, <laughs> oh wait it was nev yeah indeed have we got you know uh, what have I we mean. got uh um, uh so we've got a you say there was a comment from alan white that you uh wanted to mention somebody said no was that right? Oh, yeah. He said, uh, Alan White said, uh, just a bit further up the list there, he said that there is, uh, there's thousands of already licensed pilots out of work and leaving the industry. Why not employ them? And he puts, oh, obviously, oh, wait, the MPL license costs 100K. This is a money-making spin and not an act of goodwill. Mm, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, we could, you know, we could, as, as Armando says, I mean, this is a conversation we will no doubt. We all, we all need to play to... those six numbers every Saturday night, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're in the UK, that is. Well, true. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Obviously, other lotteries do exist for. for uh, right. For Probably one's more profitable. Yes. Anyway. Exactly. Moving on. <laughs> um, Nev, uh, you've got the next story. And uh, this is kind of an update, really, on a story that we covered a few weeks back. Mm. When I travel on a um, turboprop aircraft, very often I find myself sitting next to one of the engines. Um, <laughs> might be on a Fokker 50 or a Saab 340 or a Saab 2000 or uh, other things that I've been on. Um, and I've always wondered, what would happen if one of the um, blades of the propeller gave way? Um, well, let's have a look at flightglobal.com, shall we? Because it explains what might happen under certain circumstances. Um, it says that South African investigators have revealed that a passenger on Airlink BAE Jetstream 41 missed being struck by a broken propeller blade that penetrated the cabin because they had changed seat during the flight. As the turboprop landed at Venetia Airfield, its right-hand Honeywell TPE331 engine was hit by a Corrie Bastard. Bastard, sorry. Bastard is how you pronounce it. What? Um, that's a bird, a big one. One of the continent's largest flying birds with males weighing up to 18 kilos. 
which took off from a grass uh, area adjacent to runway 08. The impact, as the jet stream was rolling out at 105 knots, severed one of the five propeller blades. It penetrated the fuselage ice guard, cutting through stringers and scythed through the cabin, breaking a left-hand passenger window in the third seat row and leaving fragments and debris scattered in the vicinity. South Africa's Civil Aviation Authority said that the seat had originally been allocated to a passenger for weight and balance purposes, but the aircraft was largely empty with only four passengers and this individual vacated the seat during the flight and moved to sit in the aft cabin, according to the flight attendant. No one was occupying the third row seat when the blade struck. Such was the impact that the left-hand side of the fuselage was punctured by damaged stringers and the severe vibration caused by the bird strike dislodged and fractured some of the engine components including the gearbox, engine mounts and combustion casing. None of the seven occupants were injured. Uh, Investigators stated that, according to the airfield inspector, a runway inspection for foreign object object debris and wildlife is carried out before every landing or departure. The inspector performed such a check upon being contacted by the jet stream crew when the aircraft was descending and 15 nautical miles inbound. After After he had completed the inspection, he called the crew and informed them that all was clear, said the inquiry. Investigators have yet to reach a formal conclusion over the accident, the aircraft last underwent maintenance during a sea check on the 1st of June 2021. Quite a bit of damage. There. Just mm. just looking up, Nev, the Corrie Bustard, as you said, is, it says here, apparently it's the largest flying bird in, uh, in native to Africa. Oh, wow. Cool. And reaches uh, a mass of... Uh, up to 20 kilograms. And they are fairly... They are a large bird. Mm. A very large bird. Um, yeah, I can see why um, the propeller uh, decided to... Well, thank goodness they weren't there. That, as I say, up. thank goodness the people moved, because that could have been a very different mm. conversation, couldn't it? If they, if, yeah. Um, you know, if... Unf- unfortunately, this actually happens every couple of years. There's... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, propeller blade separation. There's been, I think ASA had a a crash um, where somebody got hurt because of the propeller blade. Oh. There was a Embraer, a couple. There was a Jazz um, Dash Eight that lost a propeller blade after the tire blew. And I think that narrowly killed a passenger. So, and we've actually talked. I think we had two stories last year, last year 2021 that. Uh, had to do with propeller blade separation and somebody could either narrowly escaping or or actually getting hurt in this the uh the jet stream 41 um has a five blade like composite scimitar prop so looks pretty cool they've been redone since they were originally manufactured wow Mm. Well, mercifully, nobody was hurt and everything's all intact. Or, or a so. four-blade on one of the engines now, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, it makes maintenance easier and uh, cheaper for the propeller overhaul. There you go. Mm. There you go. Now, Mundo, next story you've got is all about an airline that um, you'll know very much about soon. Yeah, I feel like John planted this story in here for me. So this is from the mirror.co.uk from timeout.com, which is what the airline's going to do to me when I get on the airplane. Uh, so uh, I love it. It's Brits looking to tick off 
New York City off the bucket list can now snap up cheap flights uh, to the Big Apple from 139 pounds, thanks to a new budget airline. Icelandic airline Play, uh, which launched last year, is now offering flights for 139 pounds each way between Stansted and New York's Stewart International Airport. Uh, with Play's route, however, there is a catch. Being Icelandic, uh, an Icelandic carrier, all of the routes stop off in Reykjavik. Uh, that might not necessarily be a bad thing, however, because uh, in order to ease the stress of flying, uh, they're taking a break in one of Iceland's most famous geothermal lagoons. Or you could stretch your legs by taking in some of the country's jaw-dropping volcanic panoramas. If you don't want to take in the sights, then the stop is just an hour and a half, and you'll be on the way to the USA. I wonder if, So I'm doing this flight, right? I wonder if I can go look at a volcano in, in an hour and a half. Um, that'd be cool. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Play is running four return flights per week between Stansted and New York. Uh, Stewart is one of New York City's lesser-known international transport hubs. While it is further away from the city than JFK or Newark, it's also quieter. Um, the terminal there recently went uh, underwent in like a $37 million expansion and a makeover. But it's not just New York. Play is also operating flights to Boston and Baltimore, Washington, uh, the flights are launching on June 10th. Bookings have already opened on the Play website because I just booked a ticket to Ooh. London Absolutely. on Play um, for July. So uh, 139 pound fares, that's actually a special deal that's just running till February 7th. And then after that, normal fares will be right around 159 pounds. Um, but typical low-cost carrier, they're going to charge you for everything. That's for a... Uh, no carry-on luggage. That's just for a personal item. So it's for, I think it was forty bucks or you know thirty-five pounds or something like that. If you want to carry on luggage and priority boarding, and then additional twenty thirty bucks if you want to choose your seats. You can choose your seats towards the back of the airplane. It's like five bucks, and then towards the front of the airplane, it's like thirty bucks. So your your plane ticket could easily double in price the more things you start adding on there. But I'll do a. Nev inspired Armando's passenger segment in July after I fly this. <laughs> I, I'm re- I'm really interested in this because it you know this is this is one of those things, isn't it, where we're, we're all just so desperate for there to be some kind of adequate low cost like route, you know, that that is is going to work for us to get over to the states. I mean, maybe yeah. this is the answer. Who knows? I, I, I know. I was going to say I know you're a lover of BA, Nev, but would would you give these guys a a punt? Well, I, I, I if I was doing some research for the show, yes. Right, um, right. okay. <laughs> In other words, he won't pay for it with his own money, uh, but he'll, he'll give it a good... Yeah, absolutely. I, I, would, I would pay for it. <laughs> and uh, actually, of course, because of the current situation, mm. we've got to find a low-cost method, again, of getting across the Atlantic. I we? agree, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Are you going to get on there with your white gloves and, <laughs> like... <laughs> Check each seat as you're walking down the aisle. Well, you wouldn't walk down the aisle. Do, do they do they have like a you know a sort of like a premium class that that would be adequate no. for someone oh, of Nev's standing? So. Um, no, I think it's one class. Is it right? Yeah. Okay, maybe an overwing seat for Nev then, just so that he's got a bit of legroom to you know stretch out and be comfortable. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. I thought it was funny that the most expensive seat that you could choose was actually at the front bulkhead. It's like, well, that's not the biggest legroom by all. I'm choosing no. a, an exit row over that. 
Is it because it's the quickest way, quickest location to like get out of the aircraft and stuff? Really, you could be out I first, suppose maybe. if you have a, if you're <laughs> trying to close get to, to one eyes, you can get. Yeah, yeah, if you want to get yeah. out and see that volcano, you want to be first off the airplane. Right. You know, when I was reading this article that that John put in here, I actually got super scared, and I was like, "Wait a minute, they're flying into New York, Stewart?" Because I just booked a plane ticket on American Airlines to New York's JFK thinking that it was out of JFK, but then I realized I actually booked out of Baltimore. So not mentioned in the story is there's a flight from Baltimore to Reykjavik to... Also Stanford, to Stansted, yeah, yeah. It's probably the same connection, isn't it, I guess? you know. The sort of, I imagine so. Sort of but I got really scared because I thought I had booked to the booked wrong the New York yeah, Absolutely. And just going from JFK to LaGuardia is an emotional event and nobody wants to Is it? it? Right, okay. I, I have many questions. Do I have to ask those after the show? Or is well, it? no, it's like, it's like going between Heathrow and, and Gatwick if you came in one and went out the other. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, Although, fair enough, yeah. You know. Yeah. I'll give you that. <laughs> anyway, um, Matt, yes. do, you fancy, do you fancy droning on for the next story? See what we did there. Uh, right, yeah, thescotsman.com is the website, as well as good old bbc.com for this. And the headline is Ready for Takeoff. Oban Airport is set to be a hub for drone delivery flights. Uh, so uh, a drone centre could be established in Argyle as par- as a base for carrying medical supplies, mail and equipment for wind farms. Pioneering fern Skyports has been given a £170,000 grant uh, from the UK government and plans setting up its service and training facility at Oban Airport. Last year, Skyports used drones uh, to fly COVID-19 samples and test kits to and from some parts of Argyle to a UK, in a UK first. The Scottish Association for Marine Science, which is part of the University of the Highlands and Islands, said its researchers could also be trained to uh, could be trained as drone pilots at the facility. Skyport said its vehicles could fly up to 112 miles, that's 180 kilometres, and carry a payload of 6 kilograms, that's 13 pounds. Last year, the company was authorised to carry COVID kits from Mull, Clachlan uh, Cell and uh, Loch Gilheed uh, to Lawn and Pardon? the islands, uh, uh, and the islands hospital in Oban uh, in a project jointly funded by the UK Airspace Agency and the European Space Agency. It's uh, as I say, what a fascinating little story. I guess this is this is what this is the way it's going to go, isn't it? More and more um, things are going to be sort of done by drone. Although the payload's not that fantastic, is it? That's it's the enough only- for. A- it's enough for a couple of bottles of Oban scotch. Well, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, there is that. Yeah, a couple of bottles of single malt. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. That is, that is a thing. It's, uh, but then I suppose if they're if they're, you know they're recyclable, aren't they? Because they'll return back to base and things like that. All they'll need is charging and stuff. So I suppose you could sort of get what you needed over there. It just, you know, it's just not a lot, is it? I don't think, and I don't speak. To, but I mean, hey, you've got to start somewhere. It's like electric cars, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> So, Armando, you've got uh, the next story, and we're moving over to uh, Grant and Steve's neck of the woods. Man, I love it when we have Australian stories. Uh, Perth uh, Airport temporarily closing terminals as low passenger numbers put the airport under financial pressure. So the airport has confirmed that it will close uh, the T1 domestic and all Virgin Australia services relocating next door over to Terminal 2. 
On the other side of the airport, Terminal 3 will only be open Monday through Friday between 3.30 a.m. and 8 a.m. Those are terrible hours. Uh, T1, the Terminal 1 uh, Virgin Australia Terminal will close this weekend with Terminal 3 reverting to its scaled back hours from Monday, February 7th. Perth Airport is uh, shunting Virgin Australia services next door to the far less salubrious and considerably smaller Terminal 2. Uh, according to them, they actually, according to a spokesperson for the Perth Airport, they said that with passenger numbers remaining low, the airport has taken a number of sensible and responsible steps to reduce operational costs. Unfortunately, this includes temporarily closing the terminals. Uh, Instead of closing terminals, Perth Airport should be gearing up for a bumper weekend. Western Australia is due to reopen its borders to interstate travelers this weekend. However, Western Australia government recently walked away from that commitment. Oh, glad they put that <laughs> paragraph in there. It just toys with your emotions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, everything's open. No, it's not. Um, no, no. Let's see. This story came from Sopo Flying in January. They reported that Australia's big domestic carriers had flights from multiple East Coast cities scheduled to land in Perth within minutes of the midnight border reopening. Those flights have since vanished from the schedules. Um, there you go. So about 4,000 interstate passengers passed through Perth Airport last year. Uh, in U.S. dollars, they posted a loss of $46 million. So... As we talked about through the pandemic, when the airports, all airports were half shut down, keeping those terminals open does cost a lot of money. So mm. the pandemic strikes again. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I'm still not convinced that, you know, uh, it's, uh, I mean, I understand why they've been so nervous about what's been going on and stuff, but I don't know. Is it yeah. is it time we need to, you know, they need to reopen and you want a positive story from australia sorry you want a positive story from australia yeah nev. there you go you got the next story oh well done nev yeah well if we're going right across the other end of the country to melbourne oh. and uh, if we look at uh, airporttechnology.com and airportworld.com it tells us that melbourne airport is the australian state of victoria uh, sorry in the australian state of victoria has unveiled its plans to build a new 3,000 metre third one runway at its facility. The proposal of creating the new runway would require shortening the existing east-west runway and changes to the flight paths. Uh, its new runway proposal will be showcased at a formal exhibition and the community will be invited to use uh, an interactive noise tool to explore future aircraft tracks in different operating modes. The community will be able to offer their feedback on the project <clears throat> excuse me, until mid-May. Uh, if the proposed runway gets the go-ahead, it's expected to create 37,000 jobs throughout the state. Uh, well, that's all well and good, but if the uh, he throws third runways into timelines anything to go by, uh, we'll <laughs> it may be a while. This, yeah. <laughs> like episode 800, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, however, uh, let's, let's, you know, Look at the some of the better news that, that Melbourne has uh, had in a while um, because they're unveiling a new pop-up gin shop. Hey, uh, now, oh, now you also have my according attention. to uh, yeah. airportworld.com. Uh, Lagardier uh, Travel Retail has joined forces with Four Pillars to bring up a pop-up gin shop into Terminal 1 at Melbourne Airport. Open now, the one-stop gin shop 
offers a selection of four pillars gins, including core and limited releases. A select range of made-from-gin products is also available to purchase, including breakfast Negroni, um, rare dry gin chocolate, and rare dry gin salt. Four Pillars and Lagardier Travel Retail have worked together in the past on domestic and duty-free operations in Australia and internationally, including in Cairns, Auckland and Hong Kong. We're excited to be taking this next step together with Four Pillars and Melbourne Airport, said Lagardier's Travel Retail CEO. Our specialist team of travel retail experts has been trusted to bring retail experiences to life for some of the world's most protected icons and are honoured to be adding four pillars to the list through this store opening. Whilst uh, Andrew Gardner, who's Melbourne Airport's Chief of Commercial Retail and Property, commented, we're delighted to welcome such a recognisable Victorian brand to Melbourne Airport. Four Pillars Pop-Up Gin Shop is a fantastic offering to passengers passing through the airport, allowing them to try some of the world-renowned products made in this state. It's located in Qantas's domestic terminal, Terminal 1, and the Four Pillars Pop-Up Gin Shop will be around until July 2022. Ooh. I'd like to go there. <laughs> Absolutely, I think so. I'd like to give it a go. I, I love gin. We know, we know that's my I know table. you do. Yeah. Mm. That's why you get on so well with Gemma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. We're usually complaining about you, actually, if I'm honest. Uh, <laughs> no. She's not complaining at the moment. No, no, you've been quite well behaved, so I hear. Even after, yeah. even after the, the uh, WhatsApp <laughs> message I sent her this afternoon. Yeah, anyway. I don't, you, you, you're, you're, a, you're a fool. You really are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, think this, I think they should open up a pop-up uh, whiskey shop, though. Um, you wow, know, okay. Just have all, yeah. all gin. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> and Alan White has said in the chat room, a breakfast gin. Now that sounds delicious. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's true. Who who would have thought that, you know, this pop-up gin shop would have made international news on a world-renowned broadcast such as this one? Uh, right. Uh <laughs> we, should, we should do a, a news segment for every new retail shop that opens in every airport around the world and we should test them as well i think yeah i mean if we can persuade them to to do that yeah. that would be great yeah absolutely yeah. uh 100 yeah. yeah yeah no that, that, that could be it could be a whole new string to nev's passenger experience right okay what do you reckon okay. nev yeah yeah, uh, sounds good. Nev's retail passenger experience. Mind you, you know that uh, in, in some airports in the UK, those early morning flights, you know, the, the 5.15 and 5.30 uh, check-in times for some of these flights, you see lots of people in the bar drinking. This morning, I could not believe what I was seeing at, at Stockholm's Arlander Airport. Um, now, I didn't think the Swedes really went in for this, but they were going for it like the clappers at quarter to six this morning with uh, beer, wine, the whole thing. So, um, and that's before they got on the aircraft. Not mine, luckily. I don't even. I don't even know what that means. Going for it like the clappers, but it, but it sounds like they were really into it. That's, that uh, yes. sounds like the kind of thing you should deny boarding. Yeah, absolutely, hundred uh, <laughs> percent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we we forget, guys. Sometimes things don't quite translate the same. I think Cross. it translates just fine. <laughs> I got my own. I got my own version in my head. <laughs> well, oh, there we dear. go. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
Be afraid, everyone. Be Terrible. very, be very afraid. afraid. Be afraid. Yes, um, lost my train of thought there. Uh, next story. Uh, skiesmag.com. And uh, this is flipping awesome, I will say. Um, retired pilot flies around the world from his backyard. So Camrose, Alberta native... Uh, Bob Roberts retired from recreational flying 10 years ago, but his departure from the skies hasn't technically stopped him from flying. With the help of Ontario-based Flight Deck Solutions, FDS, Roberts built a full-scale Boeing 737 MAX simulator uh, in his backyard. And since the installation in November 2021, he's banked almost 150 hours to destinations like Palm Springs, Los Angeles, Vancouver, and Hawaii. The simulator, dubbed Cam Air, after the city he calls home, was a passion project that began turning heads across Canada among the aviation community after Roberts was encouraged to reach out to local news publication. Roberts, who earned his private pilot license at the age of 18, grins when asked to share where he found his love for aviation. He recalled pedalling his bike in his youth to Deer Lake Regional Airport in Newfoundland to watch the jets take off and land. Uh, fascinated, the boy fell in love with the physics and the math behind it all, and soon he was flying model aircraft and daydreaming of a future in the sky. In 1996, along with a partner, Rob, built a Zenith Zodiac CH601, I'm sure Armando knows what that is, in his garage. Uh, it was an aluminium with rivets, no fabric, uh, and it took two years and four months to build it, he said. Over the course of his 30-year flying career, Roberts piloted a Cessna 152, 172, along with the Zodiac. Then, without previous airline experience, he used his spare time in retirement to train online to fly the 737 MAX. Roberts took... Uh, to YouTube to learn how to fly the Max. He studied hours of flight training tutorials posted by pilots who also happened to be Catholic priest in Yorkshire, England. Oh, hello. Uh, finally, after watching many hours of demonstrated videos, he was ready. Uh, despite the recent shift in focus to commercial customers, he said, we certainly enjoy accommodating a few enthusiastic customers like Bob throughout the year, FDS told Skies. Uh, many private customers want to build a cockpit in stages, but Bob truly exemplified exceptional planning and dedication in this project, making him a real pleasure to deal with for our crews. He was a real gem. Need to meet this guy. Uh, the Cam Air project took 18 months to complete. Uh, he said, I got the cockpit, nose liners, pedestals, all motorized, he said. Uh, you can get the lower version, but I decided to go with the pro version. Everything has motorized throttles and trim works exactly like a real Max. Well, hopefully the right way. Uh, Roberts is already planning a huge upgrade this April, uh, this year. Uh, he's got standard 1080p projectors, which will be replaced this year with 4K projectors. Oh, hello. Utilising the Sims high-level avionics coupled with virtual air traffic control groups like Virtual Air Traffic Simulation Network and Pilot Edge, Roberts can really, uh, receive realistic weather and traffic control. Uh, you actually talk to real people, he explained. Uh, they're, in your, they're in their homes with air traffic simulation installed on their computers so you can see your plane and even talk to you. Yes, I know all about that myself. Um, it looks amazing. I'm not going to lie. I have to say the pictures that Matt put up on the screen there. Yeah. 
I dread to think how much that cost. For yeah, all a couple. The... I mean, the projectors alone. I mean, because that must be what three or four projectors to give that wrap I mean, around. F- yeah, four K projector. What? There must be three. You'd have three. You'd have one well, each side. Isn't, one isn't the, the clue in the resolution? It's four K, isn't it? <laughs> True. Yeah, just for True. the monitors. Yeah, that's just the, yeah, that's just the projection. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> absolutely I've, amazing. You know, I think we've all seen a bunch of these home uh, simulators. Mm. Interesting that they're mostly 737s, but uh, this one looked above and beyond. It looked really, really nice. Not yeah. just the the cockpit portion, but the the way it's been enclosure. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The enclosure, the room that it's in, the way the the uh, the, the projector screen wraps around. You know, that's that's almost as as the same quality as yeah. you would find in a in a. Uh, Training, a real training facility. I, I was going to say, actually, better, Armando, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's gone to this much effort to, to recreate the exact detail that it couldn't get signed off as a, as a training sim. Mm. Well. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Um, I don't know how it works over there in Europe because I know that like when we went to London for the 200th, you know, that was an approved simulator that you could do training in. Yeah. Here... Uh, you know what? To be honest, I would have to dig into the red into the regs a little bit because we have uh, FTD flight training devices, aircraft training devices, ATDs, and we have full flight simulators, and we have FTDs, FFS, ATD, all kinds of different levels. And there's certain things that you can do on each one. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure EASA is probably the same or CAA, but I don't know. I'd have to look into that. Hmm. I'll have to get uh, definitely have to do those six numbers this weekend, Matt. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, a uh, quick uh, end to the story then, as we're on the subject of Sims. Um, for those of you, you, you all know, I love my X-Plane 11, and I, I use it uh, at home quite frequently. But there is a, a new addition, actually. Uh, Matt's got the video on the screen here. I have um, got a new addition to the setup. And um, a few months ago, I got in touch with the guys over at Core Flight Technologies. Now, these guys supply... Um, various different parts 737 uh, parts uh, such as the mcp panel you're seeing on the screen and uh, i got in touch with the guys and had a little chat and uh, they very kindly uh, sent across an mcp panel uh, for me to uh, have here at home and i have to say it's a fantastic piece of kit uh, these guys have really done a really good job with this um, they've got a uh, the website don't check out the website unless you want to lose loads of money because you will end up spending, if you love your sim at home, you'll end up spending loads of money because it is a real awesome bit of kit, these guys. It's plug and play as well. You just literally plug it in and it works seamlessly with um, X-Plane uh, on, the, uh, on the home PC. Really good. And Matt's uh, got the video there. What, what do you think, Armando? Oh, yeah. You're... <laughs> I still think you're... Slowly building an actual airliner in <laughs> in your house, yeah, in stealth mode without uh, yeah. without the wife realizing. One of these days, yet. you're just going to have to open the window, and there's going to be a winglet sticking out. <laughs> so, the, so the guys, the guys at Core Flight Technologies have designed the, these bits of kit. I mean, I've been in conversation with them uh, via their website, and uh, they've designed these to work with uh, the Zebo mod and the Level Up mod, which um, is a, a free. Um, add-on to X-Plane 11. So if you're 
tired of the stock 737 on X-Plane 11, you can download a Zebo mod, which most simmers will probably have heard of. But there's also a new uh, mod or addition to the Zebo mod now, which is called the Level Up uh, 737 add-on. And you can get um, different models. You can get the 600, 700, 800, and 900 ER models on there now. Matt's got the pictures on the screen for you. And as you can see, the visuals are honestly stunning. There's even an, uh, an EFB on the flight deck for you to use, which you can access uh, loads of stuff on there for the um, exterior of the aircraft. You can lower the air stairs, cool ground crew, refueling, air, con air conditioning um, units, uh, power, external power units. You can even call a de-icing truck, which would have been handy for never wow. expect from okay. where he's just been. <laughs> um, but no, for, honestly, if you, if you love your sim and if you are... Um, getting stuff you know at home for your for your home sim um core flight technologies matt will put the website link in the uh, show notes uh, give the guys a look they've got um, they've got airbus bits on there as well uh, not just boeing stuff so you can uh, and they've also got some cessna stuff on there as well which is also worth looking at so uh, yeah give them a look and uh, yeah it's awesome i shall be probably doing another little flight on sunday i expect and uh, comfort of the uh, office here comfort so. of the office right yeah well, the, the airbus equivalent to this is just an app on your phone on your yeah, iphone yeah it's just a button <laughs> it's just a button you press yeah, does yeah. it all for you no, it says teach me how to fly teach me how to fly it it's just a takeoff button yeah You're like oh look yeah. at this simulation yeah, yeah. that i'm doing it's amazing yeah it's basically a video that's what it is uh <laughs> indeed actually while we're talking about things that people got up to uh, over the weekend I, I mentioned earlier on in the show actually that uh, i took a little trip to duxford and i think we mentioned in last week's show the um the uh the spitfire um uh, exhibit that they were having there which was quite nice and carlos one of the things that uh, so these are the pictures that jonathan warner very kindly sent me obviously we started in the american hangar because those are the rules um but Matt, what is that aircraft oh don't ask me you're gonna yeah, yeah, to be fair to mr warner he was a fantastic guy uh this one was the blackbird isn't it this particular that one, one that's is, in front yeah. Of, yeah absolutely don't ask me what the other one was i don't know um but uh, jonathan was a, a fantastic guide uh, i've forgotten everything that he shared with me uh, because that's just the way that I am but the great news see the advantage about me forgetting uh, these conversations is when I go again I will all I will be as interested as I was last time uh, because I have no uh, <laughs> recollection of what happened but uh, uh, one of the things I'm hoping that that's in here so this is inside the uh, the hangar the VF 74 what have we got else yeah i say i did we we i must admit we did spend a lot of time in the american hangar uh there now uh, uh jonathan was saying actually this was actually um painted the paint job on this um was actually painted by his grandfather which uh, i thought was quite oh, fascinating wow. which is in in uh in duxford there there's also as i say there's me <laughs> yeah so the, i don't know if you if you've watched the show the show before you might remember that when we all we had a meet up there we of course we were having a uh we did an interview with captain nick uh by this very aircraft uh, which is what you can see on my phone there and um yeah as i say it was i'm just uh, somewhere here we go i think we're just i'm just trying to get to the uh, yeah so this is the uh, the spitfire oh, yes. hall oh, yeah. um that was great and what was especially nice carlos was do you remember the nhs one that we saw at um yes. at shuttleworth uh, it's yes. actually here it's actually in amongst uh, the aircraft that were um, oh we just had the one did we right okay we're back into oh that's the Concorde hangar isn't it 
um, that one. It is, yeah, yeah, indeed. With the uh, what I always refer to the one that the one that we're looking here. I always say that's the Catalina, isn't it? But of course, it's not. Uh, it's something else, isn't it? It looks very similar. Oh, the flying me. boat. Yeah, yeah, I forget absolutely. which one. What's that called? Yeah. I expect Michael will probably know that one. But. Indeed, uh, but uh, one of the the one of the aircraft that we were talking about last week that's arrived was it was a Dan Air one that's just arrived. Uh, I think was it Dan Air one that's just no, not Dan Air. Oh, it's the uh, the A one four six from yeah. the uh, thirty two squadron. Yeah. Of you, the Royal Flight. Indeed, you couldn't get too close to it, but it was in like the like the air, it was still airside, if you see what I mean. Uh, but that's arrived, and I think they're in the pro, they were in the process of stripping stripping it down and getting uh, everything out. But uh, I tell you what, I mean, you can just see by some of the pictures in there, and uh, talk about t- getting it right weather wise. It was an absolutely stunning day, and I was a bit worried because it's been quite windy here in the UK. If you if you're here, you'll know it's been very windy oh, yes. here in the UK, uh, and I was a bit worried about it being a bit exposed, obviously, because it can be a bit on that airfield. It can sort of cut through you. But it was a truly beautiful day, as I say. And Mr. Warner was a fabulous guide for the day, so I had a great day. You guys are so lucky to have that museum. It's just so well done, mm. and and such a unique museum with yeah. uh aircraft from both sides of the ocean just really well done i never got tired of duxford no. this guy carlos in the in the chat room is saying that him and sturman are off to duxford in a couple of weeks oh yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. he's taken sturman because he's he's the last time he went he was about six years old oh, wow. so Sturman's never seen the American hangar or the uh, ground warfare ha- oh wow um, oh, oh the ground era, warfare so, the ground yeah. warfare one is amazing so I, I, I said to, said to Garth, uh, Garth last week I said I'll take I'll take you there in a few weeks time we'll get yeah, a look absolutely yeah. speaking of him you, uh, these guys put me on the spot a couple of days ago and they sent me a, a grainy whatsapp video oh yes <laughs> said, Sturman did didn't it, he yeah it was a, a nighttime video of what can only be described as UFO alien lights in the sky. Um, and he said, hey, what's that? It looks military. Um, and I took a stab in the dark and uh, said it was a KC-135 with its formation lights accidentally left on, uh, on, on landing, probably into Mildenhall. And uh, he, he did write that. Sure enough, that is what it was. It was a oh, 135. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Good guess, good guess. Uh, <laughs> also been the leaked navy footage of the ufos that they saw over the atlantic <laughs> I mean, I, yeah sure uh yeah I, I don't know yeah it's a funny old one isn't it it's uh it's well you, you did well to sort of pick that 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 up to be fair um <laughs> actually i'm sorry uh, mr warner's just sent me here we go carlos this, this one this might mean a little bit more oh, to yeah, you. that yeah. was what was in the, the one. in the hangar there the thank you nhs one and what was quite nice is because you could get close enough to to see um, so the people that like sponsored it, uh, everybody, because you could pay. I think it, I don't think it was too bad, was it? It was about it was like fifteen or twenty pounds to be able to have your name written on the side of, of said Spitfire that was doing the rounds and stuff, which we, which uh, I know a lot of people did. But yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great exhibition. I'm glad, I'm glad we got the opportunity to go and, and take a look. Um, yeah. Oh, that f- that flying boat, Matt. Yes, it's a Sunderland. Yeah, no, no, I, I know that isn't the flying boat, but it looks to me it looks like the Catalina, yeah. um, which uh, I know Mike has got a soft spot for. So uh, yes. yeah, that was that was it. Well, yes. we're we're sticking with uh, military. Um, Armando, what's next? Um, well, what's next is you, you guys are showing these pictures of these Spitfires. You know, every year at the British Aerobatics Academy they run, or, or there's another organization that runs a, a raffle. 
for I think for a hundred pounds or something like that, and you can buy a ticket, and it gives you an opportunity to fly in a, the back seat of a Spitfire. You know that is not open to foreigners. You have to be a UK citizen. Oh, I would really? become I would become a UK citizen just to just. be able to buy a ticket <laughs> to potentially fly in the back seat of a Spitfire. Surely you're an honorary an honorary Brit. Surely. I was now. a registered traveler. Does well, that quite. count? Yeah, I reckon so. I reckon so. I'm sure we can make I go happen. through the E-gates at Heathrow. Does that count? Uh, oh, oh, very good. Like the, well, actually it's expired now, so I'm going to have right. to go with the commoners. Oh, no. For the 400. So I should probably plan an extra four hours for that now. I would. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd arrive now um, if I were you. Uh, <laughs> Anyways... Uh, as usual, despite our best efforts, uh, we still have a little bit of time for great. So, Matt, if you're ready, let's hit the button. Nev's face. I think Nev's, Nev's checked out. <laughs> Nev's getting his A330 type rating on his phone right now. <laughs> Stole that from the chat. He's got a bottle of Pinot hidden under there. All right, uh, enough making fun of Nev. Uh, so this is nothing funny about this. Everybody that's been watching the news knows that the situation, the security situation over in Europe is a little bit tepid right now with Ukraine. Um, so we will, as usual, keep an eye on current events when it comes to the military side of the house. But uh, I picked a couple of stories relating to the situation over in Ukraine. And this first one comes to us from airforcetimes.com, a pseudo official organization uh, publication. Uh, so obviously, we saw in the news this week that some American troops are now on standby uh, there in Europe to see what happens in, uh, with Russia. Uh, but U.S. and allied reconnaissance flights in the region have been ongoing since at least December 24th, dispatching multiple types of military aircraft to serve as extra eyes and ears over Europe. On Wednesday alone, aviation radar tracking sites, uh, it's not radar tracking sites, actually ADSB tracking sites, showed at least eight American and Swedish aircraft flying over Ukraine, uh, the Black Sea and the Baltics. That included two RC-135 v, uh, VW rivet joint aircraft. Um, those are uh, communication signals intercepts, and as well as an RQ-4 uh, Global Hawk that gathers high altitude images and other data through various sensors. So the Global Hawk may have been peering down at a string of Russian troops uh, built up along the border uh, with Ukraine, as well as the uh, smaller countries south, according to expert analyses online. <clears throat> They've noted that the MQ-9's uh, visit to Russian-occupied Crimea in southern Ukraine on January 21st uh, another flight tracker caught an AT, uh, not an AT, a, uh, a J-STARS, an E-8C. Um, of course, that one has ground-moving um, GMTI, ground-moving target indicator uh, radar. So those have all been flying over Ukraine at least three days, um, the past three days. And they've been joined by a couple rivet joints, uh, E-3s, P-8s, anti-submarine patrol jets, as well as other aircraft flown by NATO, the UK, Germany, US Army, and the US Navy. Uh, in addition to that, F-15 Strike Eagles have been moved from Seymour Johnson Air Force Base in North Carolina, and that those have arrived in Estonia um, on Wednesday to bolster NATO's air policing efforts in the Baltics. Um, now, on the other side of the house, Russia has deployed Su-35 fighter jets to Belarus for what they're calling military drills. 
they've completed that deployment of the multi-role fighter jets to Belarus as part of what they're calling joint exercises between the two ex-Soviet countries. Uh, according to a statement from the Russian Defense Ministry, they said that the multi-role Su-35S fighter jets from the Eastern Military Di District dispatched for an inspection of the Union State's response forces. Uh, thank you, Google Translate. They are completed their deployment at airfields in Belarus. Uh, the crew of 12 Su-35 fighter planes was sent to Belarus for participation in the Union Resolve 2022 Russia-Belarus joint exercise scheduled for next month. Uh, these uh, aircraft have landed at uh, the Baranovichi airfield in the Brest region. Upcoming, upcoming military drills will run from February 10th through February 20th, according to the country's defense ministry. Joint exercises aim to, quote, assess the ability of military command centers and troops of the Union state to suppress and repel external aggression and fight terrorism. The troops from Russia and Belarus will practice their joint operations in Obuz Lesnovsky, Osipovitsky, Bretsky, Goski, Domanovsky training grounds. Uh, and they will also involve a couple airfields in Baranovichi, Lunets, Lida, and Machuliski. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> um, this episode has been brought to you by Google Translate. <laughs> uh, let's see, another kind of developing story from the drive.com more russian military helicopters appear to be arriving in crimea a series of videos and posts posted to social media accounts this was on twitter uh, within the last 48 hours show formations of russian aerospace forces uh, or vks helicopters moving into crimea's kirk region in the far east of that peninsula and on the coast of the sea of azov uh, some of these helicopters included KA-52s, uh, MI-28s, attack helicopters, and at least seven MI-24s, MI-35 uh, hind-armed assault helicopters. Some MI-8s also went to the region, and then MI-26s, uh, heavy transport helicopters, uh, were seen in the videos and some of the imagery. Now, the helicopters, why this is important, is they were an integral part of the 2014 campaign in Crimea, with particular operations, including um, reported landings by at least 11 um, helicopters in, in that Kerch region. Um, so there you go. This uh, is just kind of the situation is increasing a little bit. And it's never good when more and more forces are being uh, are flowing into the area. So as you guys can imagine, you're leaving it more than I am over here, you know, you're in the European security situation, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll stay politically neutral and just kind of report on the aviation aspects of what's going on here. There you go. That's your Ukraine update for the week. <laughs> yes, I suspect this is uh, going to be what I like to refer to as a, a developing story. Um, I think is how they how many how many um, intercepts we had this week that has, that has been on the um, Sky yeah, News. I saw there was quite a few over yeah. in the UK, hasn't? Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Yes. Um, so this next one comes to us from the aviationist.com and the headline USMH60M helicopter used in raid to kill ISIS leader in Syria blown up on the ground by US forces. So 
what we know about the U.S. Special Forces raid on al-Qurishi in Syria and the MH60M helicopter destroyed on the ground because it was not going to be usable for the return flight. So U.S. President Joe Biden announced uh, this week the death of Abu Ibrahim al-Hishami al-Qurishi, the leader of the Islamic State militant group. Uh, happened during a special forces raid this week in Syria, the raid to take down al-Qurishi's successor of Abu Bakr al-Baghdiri, killed during a raid in 2019, was being planned for months, with President Biden giving the final approval for the assault on February the 1st, 2022. Uh, a Defence Department official said that an airstrike on the target was ruled out uh, early in the planning because of the potential for civilian casualties involved as intelligence showed that the terrorist leader was living in a three-story building with an unrelated civilian family on the first floor that however was not enough to prevent collateral damage as al-Qurishi detonated an explosive belt destroying the building's third floor and killing his family the counter-terrorism operation happened after midnight and lasted more than two hours, according to the details released this week. A civilian who lives nearby the target compound, interviewed by the Washington Post, said he'd heard the helicopters arriving at around 1 a.m., followed by heavy gunfire and clashes that went on until around 4 a.m. Unconfirmed reports mentioned the presence of multiple Apache AH-64E uh, helicopters and MH-47G Chinooks and MH-60M Blackhawk helicopters. At least one unspecified unmanned aerial vehicle was monitoring the area from above during the raid. Images and videos circulating online show the remains of the MH-60M helicopter of the 160th Special Operation Aviation Regiment, or SOAR, Night Stalkers. Recognisable from its heavy, heavily modified nose, which was less damaged in the explosion. Senior administration officials confirmed that the helicopter suffered a mechanical issue as it arrived near the target compound. After the insertion of the special forces, it was assessed that the specially modified MH60 was not going to be usable uh, for the return flight. And the decision was made to fly it well beyond any kind of visual range and then detonate it. The helicopter did not suffer a crash of any kind and there aren't any reports about crew's injuries while sensitive items were removed before the destruction. Well, yeah, I kind of yeah. get the idea here. You know, you don't want to obviously let one of the most modified um, special forces helicopters fall into the wrong hands. So if you can't fly it out or drive it out, C4 it out. Yeah, this is always a contingency plan. Now, now, let, let me tell you, this: these kinds of missions are never easy, uh, regardless of how much you plan for them. You have, um, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, you know, we have general plans on how we conduct operations like this, but regardless of how much you plan it, you always plan for something to go wrong. And the destruction of, of sensitive assets is always, you know, part of that contingency plan. Um, what was interesting about this that has been in the in the media now for a couple of days, and um, they were on the ground for a couple of hours. Um, so one of my, I guess, not questions. I, nobody's going to answer my question, but I'm wondering if, you know, they were uh, running the engines on the ground, ground loggering for for an hour. You know, maybe they had a gearbox issue. Maybe had they had some kind of overtemp. Um, it's interesting. 
I would be interested to, to find out if they flew in, did the insertion, and flew back out into a different staging area. But it seemed like this this actual helicopter was there near the target area. Um, and and you know and you plan for it to uh, for things to to go wrong and the other aircraft. There's a lot of aircraft. The the helicopters are the ones that are seen by the people on the ground and they make it to the social media. But but rest assured, there's a stack what we call a stack of aircraft that probably had some uh, surveillance, some Overwatch, some armed assets. There was probably some kind of of armed Overwatch aircraft, maybe a gunship overhead, uh, perhaps some some fighter jets that were ready to come down should the situation develop a little bit more, become more dynamic. But then the helicopters, you know, are are obviously the the most vulnerable, being close to the ground and landing close to the objective. So um, there you go. I'm glad everybody's okay um, on the military side. It's very unfortunate that there was um, some collateral damage on this one. Of course, we may, we may not get the full story, but um, at least that's one more enemy combatant that's off the battlefield. Mm. Nev looks devastated by the loss of this um, MH60. Well, you know, I, I, I try to offer empathy and, you know, <laughs> in these situations. <clears throat> Indeed. It's not my field of expertise, though, I have no. to say. Uh, that's why we have an Armando. Exactly. Right. I think I think even Nev would like to see one of these in a museum as opposed to blown up on the in the Well, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Indeed. So Nev sticking with you for this uh, next story. Yeah, this is a good one on the avi- aviationist.com. Um on February the 1st, a B1B Lancer with the 28th bomb wing from Ellsworth Air Force Base, South Dakota. Two F-15E Strike Eagles from the 494th Fighter Squadron from RAF Lakenheath uh, and an F-35B Lightning belonging to the RAF 207 Squadron from RAF Marham accompanied uh, by an RAF Hawk ship, uh, sorry, camera ship celebrated the 80th anniversary of the 8th Air Force. Flying as Oxray flight, the Bones B-1s undertook a round-trip mission to the UK from their home base in South Dakota. In the end, just one of the three Lancers, one was an air spare, completed the transatlantic crossing. The B-1 flew with the rest of the dissimilar formation over the Imperial War Museum, Duxford, the Cambridge American Cemetery, and Memorial, which is a World War II American military war grave cemetery, at uh, Mattingly in Cambridgeshire, uh, as well as RF Marham in Norfolk, RF Lakenheath, and RF Mildenhall in Suffolk. Uh, the photos, uh, which I think Matt's showing, um, were taken by aviationist contributor Stuart Jack at RAF Lakenheath and RAF Mildenhall. Today, the 8th Air Force is one of two active duty numbered air forces in Air Force Global Strike Command, with headquarters at Barksdale Air Force Base, Louisiana, uh, that controls long-range conventional strike and nuclear capable bomber assets worldwide and commands the national uh, airborne operations center platform so um, that's a long way to come isn't it um mm. from south dakota to uh cambridgeshire but ah uh, oh, shoot yeah. those guys probably thought it was a short flight well just there you a, go yeah <laughs> yeah probably B yeah, one pilots probably thought, ah, it's just a training run over to England and back. Mm. <laughs> By the way, the um, the American Cemetery, a, memor- a memorial to oh, Cambridge, yes. 
uh, it's very very moving, isn't it? It I is. Think. I've been a few times actually. I've been yeah. lucky yeah. lucky enough. Quite often, I would um, there, there was somewhere where I could usually park the coach um, over that side um, of Cambridge, and uh, many a many a, an afternoon has been spent enjoying the peace and tranquility of what is a as you say a very moving sight. Hmm. Very very moving indeed. It's 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 been very beautifully done, hasn't it? Very uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So Armando, okay, this... you've got this. Um... Last one. Yeah, um, this one also from the drive.com. I thought this was kind of interesting as we were talking about, um, you know, this the drones up in Scotland about being disposable. So this is autonomous resupply gliders making their first successful deliveries on their first overseas deployment Two C-130 cargo aircraft, which are not autonomous gliders um, operated by a um, air quotes again, U.S. allied government in the Middle East have completed successful deliveries using autonomous Silent Arrow GD-2000 cargo gliders in their first overseas military deployment. So Silent Arrow claims that their disposable glider drones can be deployed for military resupply and disaster relief missions at half the cost of existing cargo airdrop systems. According to a Silent Arrow press release, the successful delivery saw two of these gliders loaded with about a thousand pounds of undisclosed cargo when they were dropped out of C-130s over a desert environment. The uh, gliders then navigated and flew autonomously to their landing point, at which point they executed a flare to reduce their speed and landed successfully. The deliveries were conducted as part of a $1.5 million operational evaluation contract and the company expects to begin full rate production in 2023 with orders into the thousands of units. Currently, 12 of the uh, gliders are deployed to the Middle East and another 15 are in production. Now, these gliders are uh, considered a disposable standoff delivery platform, which can carry a cargo weight of up to 1,600 pounds and deliver it within 40 nautical miles when dropped from a fixed wing aircraft at a maximum altitude of 25,000 feet. When dropped from a helicopter, the company claims a 15-mile maximum standoff range. In the fact sheet, Silent Arrows claims that the drone can land within 100 meters of its intended target with a full stall landing to create a zero vertical impact. Now, Matt's showing the video there. It's pretty cool. The rectangular fuselage consists of about a 2-foot by 2-foot by 8-foot container with removable lids that contains the drone's uh, seven foot pop-out wings. Now, once this is all loaded, the nose cone and the tail are installed on the fuselage. Static lines are attack attached to its host aircraft. And when the glider is pushed out of the aircraft, those static lines prevent or remove pins that allow the wings to open up. And then it soars to about 130 knots, which is pretty good for a glider. And um, the stall speed of this is uh, about 62 knots when half-loaded, 92 knots when fully loaded. Uh, believe it or not, these uh, disposable gliders have a variety of features. They have avionics that include an autopilot, magnetometers, barometers, GPS navigations systems, LIDAR, LIDAR rangefinders, a first-person optional video, so like a video game, uh, RF frequencies, uh, capabilities and these <laughs> gliders can be programmed using Android. Wow. Uh, oh, sorry. No, I'm just kidding. Android <laughs> Tactical Assault Kit. Uh, <laughs> kit. 
enabling to be controlled by a variety of off-the-shelf or military mobile devices. So Android only, not iOS, uh, disposable <laughs> glider. Oh, dear. Uh, see, his hey. eye, see Carlos's eyes light up there. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. Like, I thought, you know, uh, speaking of World War II and, and, and the, the memory of World War II, the gliders were such an important mission mm. back then. But for each glider crew, there was a DC-3 or C-47 crew that was um, towing them into harm's way. And, and this is a pretty unique autonomous cardboard disposable glider thingy yeah. pretty uh, pretty neat right agreed agreed very very cool indeed it's uh, it's definitely everything's moving that way isn't it i mean it's uh, I, have you have you took your um, your one up lately matt or are you still do you know what I, I was literally having a conversation about that a few weeks ago um and uh, on the days where i've been able to actually the weather has not been great because that's the only trouble with the ones that that you know we we can buy to to play with if you see what i mean they're not great you need a very very still day for them to be controllable mm. and they do have like the gyro things in it so and like gps and everything all built in it so, so it will more or less hold its position but you do it doesn't take much for it to be too much for them to to sort of self-compensate if you see what i mean it's uh do you not uh, do you not fancy one of these nev i thought you'd be you'd be well up for a dji fan or, or like a do you know i've never really i think if i was going to run my own business and i wasn't doing <clears throat> what i'm doing for work at the moment yeah that might be the something i might do drone photography mm. absolutely kind of thing, but it mm. hasn't really appealed to me thus far i've got to say and it is really complicated isn't it i mean the, the permissions required uh to do any form of commercial film filming it are, are huge i mean it's you know it, it's not a five minute job you you need permissions this, but i mean like if you wanted to film anything in london you need written permission <laughs> from all sorts of people to to be able to to do that, the Queen. You know? uh, well, probably, yeah. It's, mm. it's it's someone like that, certainly. But uh... so uh, we're going to start to wrap up mm. the show now. Yep. Nev, Four would you uh, <laughs> would you like to uh, run through the social media platforms? Yes. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search uh, those platforms for Plain Talking UK. Our WhatsApp number plus forty four seven five seven two two. Four nine one six six. That's plus forty four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. You can email the show at podcast at plaintalkinguk.com and our website is www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. You'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room. You can go to youtube.com and search for Plain Talking UK to do that. Also, we've got uh, an Amazon link on our website. So if you do your shopping with Amazon, which I know Carlos does extensively, <laughs> if you do it through our website, we get paid a small referral fee. And that's, that all goes to make the whole thing work and you can also become a patreon and you can do that by going to our main website plaintalkinguk.com which you can now use sterling which is very exciting oh right you get as mm. good isn't it yes yes oh, that's good absolutely good old pound shillings and pence. absolutely yes yes not everything's in dollars now so you can you can pledge a pound if you want to which uh, we would be very grateful for absolutely so 
that's it then guys that is uh, where we're going to wrap up episode 398 of the show thanks to everyone for joining us this evening in the youtube chat room all the usual family members in there been great to see you all in there this evening there's been a great conversation in there as well so a big thanks to you all for that it's been great to have you on board so thanks to armando for joining us this evening as always thanks for your awesome in 20 seconds at uh, this evening and thanks to you nev as well thanks to matt and not forgetting thanks to john as well uh, for putting the show notes together for us this evening for the show so that's it from me carlos here in my home studio from nev Five. in his studio at home from armando across the pond and from matt in the ptuk master suite studios take care everyone have a great weekend goodbye bye everyone <laughs> 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 <laughs>